We're in part two of our series called Grace Anatomy, and you have a very interesting scripture reading in front of you today. In fact, if any of you have your Bibles with you, you might open your Bibles up to John chapter 8, verses 1 to 12, and when you do, you're going to see something very interesting. There's a pretty good chance your Bible, like my Bible, has a little notation right ahead of it that says the following, the most ancient Greek manuscripts do not include John chapter 7, verse 53, through chapter 8, verse 11. Isn't that interesting? It says that many Greek manuscripts do not include the story that Dennis just read to you. Now, I want you to know something. Even though we have in our possession thousands of New Testament manuscripts dating from the first century, many of the oldest manuscripts that we have don't include this story. Now, you ought to ask yourself this question, why not? Why isn't it here? Well, New Testament scholars uh, pretty much agree that in the early church, a lot of people in leadership considered this story just a little bit too hot to handle. Some people apparently believed that this story seemed to suggest a rather lenient attitude towards immoral behavior, especially considering the world in which they lived in, and that world was Rome, a world which could make Las Vegas look like Mayberry. I mean, there were church leaders who said, if we give the impression that adultery is something that we can kind of wave off and ignore, you know, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more, our people are not going to take holiness seriously. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that the people back then are just like the people at First Lutheran Church in Texarkana today. Their main question, it seems, was, how much sin can I get away with and still go to heaven? Am I talking to you? How much sin can I do, how much sin can I get away with and still end up in heaven? It's for that reason that I think this story was excluded in some early manuscripts. Now let me tell, before I go any further, let me tell you something that I believe about the Bible. This is what I believe about the Bible. No matter how well-meaning scholars and theologians may be, God does not need an editor for his word. It is not our job to protect people from the scandal of biblical truth. It is our job merely to proclaim the glory of God's word so that God himself is glorified. Now, I begin today's message with this little bit of background because I want you to understand that it has always been difficult for people to grasp this concept of grace. You know, when you hear about the unlimited nature of God's mercy, some people say, well, then what's to prevent us from abusing it? And I say, exactly. And you know something? I have never, ever, I'll underline that, never, ever met a Christian that didn't and doesn't abuse God's grace to a certain extent. For example, how many of you know that it is a, a sin to speed when you're driving? 
I think everybody who drives knows that there is a law against exceeding the speed limit, but many of us do it. In fact, some of us are so bold we buy a radar detector so that we know how we can purposefully and intentionally sin. Whoops, did I call speeding a sin? I think I did. I know people who know that gossip and backbiting is a sin, but you know something? They're not very worried about that either. They're not any more worried about that than doing 80 miles an hour on Interstate 30, as long as they don't get caught. I know people who know that speaking harshly to their spouse or speaking harshly to their children is wrong, but they somehow just believe that God will kind of go wink, wink, you know, don't worry about it, no big deal. I know some people who every time they punch the clock at work, they rob their employers. How do they do it? Spending too much time on unnecessary things on the internet, using the postage meter to pay for personal mail, taking home things that belong to that place of business. Now, while I have met only a handful of people who would be so bold as to test the limits of God's mercy when it comes to adultery or murder, I have met hundreds of people. In fact, I've stood in front of hundreds of people. You sat and looked at many people, like a pastor, who never give dishonesty, gossip, greed, materialism, selfishness, bitterness, or pride a second look. It's no big deal, we say. Now, that leads me to a principle that we need to pick up on this morning. This is a very important principle. Here it comes. In order to take grace seriously, we need to learn to take sin seriously. Now, let me say that again. If we're going to take, the, if we're going to take grace seriously, then by golly, we better learn to take sin seriously. Now, the problem here is not that we're in danger of becoming too strict. The problem is we have a danger of becoming too lax, especially when it comes to our own individual sins. It's very easy for us to say, oh, that person over there. It's very easy for us to point the finger at somebody else and say, that person there, they keep doing that sin, and they do that sin over and over. Or, Pastor, you know that person over there? I don't think they're really sincere about their repentance. I think they're trying to abuse God's mercy. Well, if you're inclined to say those kinds of things and to point always the finger of blame that everybody else is doing it, I would like for you to reflect on a few simple questions again. How's your driving? How's your conversation with your spouse? How's your conversation with your children? How's your thought life these days? How's your dedication to your job or to your schoolwork? an interesting email from a former uh, member of previous church who's a school teacher and he said he's teaching an AP chemistry class not AP what's that advanced placement chemistry he says every last one of those kids cheats well, I would say every last one of those kids sins I mean how's your dedication to your schoolwork your job before you can ever start worrying about what other people do before you ever take on somebody else out there, maybe you need to take a long, hard look at yourself. 
And I want to suggest three things this morning that teach us what it means to take grace seriously. Here's the first thing. When it comes to you and your sin, or I could put it another way, when it comes to me and my sin, you stand alone. I stand alone. Now, when you heard this story, maybe you noticed there was a great injustice in it. There was a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery, and she was brought before Jesus all alone. Now, I'm not always the sharpest knife in the, in the drawer, but something's missing here. You tell me if I'm wrong, but as far as I know, it takes two people to commit adultery. In the Old Testament, law, which, by the way, they quoted incorrectly when they brought her. Did you notice that? The Old Testament law says that both the man and the woman caught in adultery are to be executed. They are to be stoned to death. Did you catch what it was they said? They said, the woman needs to be executed. How convenient. Makes you wonder where the man was. He was nowhere to be found. This is kind of an aside, but it says that Jesus kind of stopped and just kind of drew in the dirt for a while. You ever wonder what Jesus wrote in that dirt? Some people have said the name of the men men, plural, who'd been with that woman in an adulterous relationship. That's why the men began to walk away one at a time. Maybe, I don't know. Don't write that down like it fell off of Mount Sinai. That's just what some people say. All I'm telling you is it takes two to commit adultery. The Old Testament law says both of them should be stoned, but the, but the man was nowhere to be found. And this tells you something about the hypocrisy of the religious leaders, how they chose to condemn one person and not the other. And guess what? They chose to condemn the weaker, the more vulnerable of the two. This is par for the course for self-righteous religionists. But you know, when I chose this story for this series of messages, I also knew that this story carries a very terrifying truth that is very evident in this situation. And here's the terrifying truth. Friends, when it comes to sin, when it comes to your sin, or your sin, or my sin, you're alone. You're all alone. Now, maybe this woman wanted to say, come on, hold it, wait a minute. And what about the man I was with? I mean, he talked me into it. He's the one who seduced me. It wasn't my idea. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be stuck with it. It's not fair. Sounds like a lot of students I've heard stand in front of me over the years. Guess what? That's the terrible truth about sin. We come to the point where we must individually accept responsibility for our own actions. Not long ago, I read about a woman. I, I read this in the Fort Worth paper. The woman who was in a traffic accident. She pulled into an intersection in a car with the right-of-way plowed into her. The police arrived, they took statements, determined that this woman was at fault, and they gave her a ticket. Well, she went to court and challenged this ticket. This is what she said, quote, It's not my fault the man who hit me was driving with an expired license. He had no business driving. If he hadn't been breaking the law, he wouldn't have been on the street, and when I pulled into the intersection, he wouldn't have been there to hit me. I can't be blamed. I'm the victim of lawlessness. End of quote. 
That's an interesting spin. I mean, she was absolutely convinced that she was right. And maybe some of you actually thought, well, that made sense. I mean, the guy didn't have his license. Self-righteous Pharisees. But see, that's not how the judge saw this, was it? Guess what? The rest of this story said that she ended up paying the fine and saw her insurance premiums nearly triple. Now, again, I'm going to go back to the lesson we need to learn. Each of us must stand alone in full responsibility for our actions. No blaming other people. No excuses. See, in order to take sin seriously, in order to take grace seriously, we need to take sin seriously. I mean, many times we are not as interested in being forgiven as we are in being told it wasn't our fault. I mean, people who take that route never really experience God's grace because they never, experience, they never acknowledge their own sin. Here's the second thing. Your sin is a matter between you and God. Now, I'm going to take you back to another Old Testament story, David. David and Bathsheba. That's what we normally call the story. But after David committed adultery with Bathsheba, after he murdered her husband, Uriah, he wrote Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, verse 5, David said, against you, he's talking to God, against you, you only, have I sinned. Now, look at that. Now, I've got to tell you that that word only has always puzzled me. Against you, God, you only have I sinned. I mean, what about the woman with whom he'd committed adultery? What about the guy he had murdered? Didn't he sin against them as well? Of course he did. But see, David is not saying, I didn't do wrong against Uriah when I killed him, or I didn't do wrong against Bathsheba when I seduced her. He's saying that those wrongs, murder and adultery, were the result of his rebellion against who? Against God. He was subject to God's laws, and that it was God's law, first and foremost, that he had broken. Now, I'm going to make a little confession here. There have been any number of times in my life when I've done things wrong. I'm, let's just, I've sinned. That'd be the better way to put it. When I've sinned, and setting things straight with God was not nearly as important as making sure that everybody around me liked me again. Has that ever happened to you? You've done something wrong. It's a sin. There's nothing else you can call it. And you were, you were far less interested in getting straight with God than you were with having mom and dad like you again, or your boyfriend or girlfriend to like you, or your pastor or your church member or your mom or your dad. Now, friends, reconciling with other people is important. But your relationship with God must come first. I mean, for this reason, the urgent matter in this woman's life was not how she stood before her accusers, it was how she stood in front of her God. Now, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know, but friends, there are going to be people who will bring charges against you. I've had that happen. I mean, people who said things about me. Some of them were right, some of them were wrong. Some of them were fair, some of them were unfair. Uh, sometimes people forgave me, sometimes people condemned me. The same is going to be said of you. 
I mean, either way, your status with other people is secondary. Of greater importance, and I should, I, maybe I should say of greatest importance, is how you will deal with that sin that stands between you and your God. Now, in this story, it says that all of the men laid down their stones and one by one, from oldest to youngest, walked away. But, you know, you can find many other examples in the Bible where the wrongful accusers did not lay down their stones and they did not walk away. They continued with their condemnation. See, that's why every believer, you know, all the way from James here in the front, all the way to Eddie in the back, everybody in between, that's why every believer, including myself, needs to understand that ultimately the matter of your forgiveness is a matter between you and God. Opinions, accusations, judgments, and condemnations of other people, that's secondary. Now, as we see in the story, other people may condemn, they may refuse to forgive you, but here's some good news. God never does. But see, in order for you to take that grace seriously, you need to take sin seriously. And the good news is that when you do, God pours out his mercy upon you. God washes away every wrong, every sin that you have ever been a part of. I mean, I think that's a cool deal. Now, if you have hurt someone in the past, if you've wronged someone in the past, you need to make restitution. You need to make reconciliation to the extent that it is possible. But remember that it is God's forgiveness that empowers you, not the approval of other people. Here's the third thing. You never have the luxury of looking the other way. You never have the luxury of looking the other way. Now, I've never understood why people thought this story was too soft on sin. I don't think it's soft on sin at all. Now, if Jesus would have said, Ah, oh, young lady, neither do I commend you. Go now. Have a nice day. Then maybe people could interpret that, uh, that to mean that he kind of waved off the seriousness of sin. But that's not what Jesus said at all. Instead, he used a phrase that when I first read this story, I first read this story, I would have been in grade school. It struck terror into my heart. Now, understand that when I was in grade school, Lutheran grade school, we were reading out of the King James Version of the Bible. You with the theist and the thouist and the beseeches, that kind of stuff. Well, verse 11 is translated, Jesus said to her, go and sin no more. Ooh. I can't tell you how intimidating I found that I was probably third or fourth grade. I had my Bible open. We were reading a Bible story. And it was like, what? Go and sin no more? I could barely make it to lunch without messing up. I mean, the idea of never sinning again, that was mission impossible. But then along came the new international version. And the New International Version, which also translates, you can find it, even if you go back to the original language, it'll translate it much the same way. It says, go and leave your life of sin. That's a whole lot different, isn't it? Go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. Man, was I relieved. 
this helps me helps us better understand what Jesus was saying. Jesus was not saying, I don't condemn you today, but this is your last chance. You better be perfect from here on out. I mean, if you mess up next week, next month, next year, I'm going to take it all back. Now, what, 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 what he's saying is, I won't condemn you today. Instead, I'm going to give you a chance to start a new life. I'm going to give you a chance to start and live a new way. I'm giving you a do-over. You know what a do-over is. And that's what he's saying. And you know what, what amazes me? There are some people who think that God can somehow be outsmarted when it comes to the matter of grace and forgiveness. They think that they can kind of go through the Bible and find some sort of a theological loophole and then some way use that to get away with a life of unrestrained sin. They think that somehow they're going to stand in front of the throne of God someday and quote a couple of Bible verses to God, and then God is going to have to stand there and kind of shrug his shoulders and say, well, you got me on that one. I didn't think people would find that loophole. Uh, go over and see St. Peter. He's got the keys to your mansion. I mean, there are some people who think they can do that. Good luck. Ain't it going to happen. There are some people who are just a little too worried that someone other than them are going to sin and get away with it. But that's not how it is either. I mean, God is generous with his mercy and forgiveness, but God cannot be fooled. I mean, I've said sometimes I used to try to sin real fast so I could sneak it past God. You can do that with your mom and dad. You can do that with grandma and grandpa. You can do it with your pastor. You can do it with your wife. Or your, you're not going to slip one by, by God. And also the Bible says God is not mocked. Don't think you can pull a fast one on him. Now, we all have seen kids who know how to turn on the tears in order to get what they want from mommy and daddy. And you know something? Some parents remain absolutely clueless as to what's going on. And the little kid gets his way. That's not how it works in God's kingdom. You might as well waste your tears on mommy and daddy because they're not going to work on God. Nobody can trick God into forgiving them through some insincere display of remorse. So don't worry about somebody else getting away with it. And don't kid yourself into thinking that you'll get away with it either. Now, here's what I want you to walk away with today what I, I'm hoping you think about in terms of God's grace. One is this. Don't worry about whether or not someone else is sincere or that they're not trying hard enough. That's a matter between them and God. But second, take seriously the opportunity that God gives you each and every day to try again. It says, go and sin no more. Go and leave behind your life of sin. I mean, I'd, I'd encourage you. In fact, I'd plead with you today, folks. I would plead with you today to pray that the Holy Spirit would shine the light of conviction down into every last single corner of your life, into your soul, that you would be able to see, maybe for the first time, the sins that you need to abandon. I don't care whether it's going too fast on the highway, bad-mouthing somebody behind their back, or whether it's murder or adultery. Let that light of the Spirit get into every corner. And then refuse to look the other way. Address these sinful behaviors and strive to overcome them. 
whether it's a sexual sin or dishonesty or gossip or just that all-consuming arrogance that causes us to believe that the rules of the road don't apply to us. I mean, grace will not allow you. I don't know if I can say it anyway, but grace will not allow you to wallow in the false sense of security that comes from looking the other way. See, the grace of God, I don't know, it just compels me to address the garbage in my life that stands between me and God. That's what the grace of God does. It just compels us to do that. I mean, grace accepts you as you are today and gives you a chance to be better tomorrow. You know, I read this story, I don't know how many times, preparing this message. And one other thing I came away with was, I'm just like that woman the Pharisees brought that day. But then again, so are you. Every last one of us is like that woman who the Pharisees brought that day. We are all guilty. And we are all surrounded by all sorts of accusations. Yet we stand in solitude, just us, before Jesus, waiting for judgment. That's what confession is. We may have all confessed our sins before together, but there is a time when you will stand, just you and Jesus, and you say, I have sinned. Guess what? You know what he's going to say to you? He's going to say to you the same thing he said to that woman. I do not condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Friends, I just say embrace God's mercy today. Uh, you cannot take grace seriously until you take sin seriously. And here's the very, very, very good news. The good news is that when you are willing to confront your sin, God is willing to give you the strength to overcome it. You know when that happens, you know who gets the glory? It's God. After all, that's where the glory ought to be. With him, the giver of all good things, the giver of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the giver of everything. We pray today that by the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, that you would just shine a light down into the deepest, darkest corners of our life to show us the areas of sin that we need to abandon and then enable us to refuse to look the other way. Enable us to stand before you, Father, even as grace compels us to do, to admit our sinfulness and our shortcomings. And then know without a doubt that you will say to us, I do not condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. That's the good news, Father, that as we are willing to confront our sin, you are willing to give us the strength to overcome it. In Jesus' name, amen.